Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, bears, Talosians, and things to episode 105 of the Muppet Trek Podcast. I'm Steve. And I'm Jarman, and we're here to compare, contrast, and confer, Willow conferring, about our two favorite franchises. And what are those, Steve? That's the Muppets and Star Trek. We've been doing one-to-one reviews of The Muppet Show and now Star Trek The Next Generation. And tonight we're covering The Muppet Show with special guest star Glenda Jackson and Star Trek The Next Generation episode The Naked Now. But Steve, you need to tell us about this Glenda Jackson. Who is she? Well, this week we're blending two segments, feedback and guest context. That's right. One of our longtime listeners and podcast pals, Paul Wright, sent us a message on Facebook that I'm going to use as the guest contact. It's perfect. So, Paul, thank you. You saved me 10 to 15 minutes <laughs> of research and typing. All right. Uh, hey, Jarman. And I'm going to assume that Steve was also implied. Uh, <laughs> you are recording the next Muppet Trek soon. And the special guest, Glenda Jackson, she was bo- born in Birkenhead. Birkenhead? Yeah, I got that right. The next town to us where I lived for a couple of years. I attended the Birkenhead Technical College, where they had a theater they used for drama and theater studies, which was named the Glenda Jackson Theater. After her. She was an amazing actress, and she played Queen Elizabeth I, which was so good that for a long time afterwards, people said that it was the definitive portrayal of her. Mm. When she appeared on The Muppet Show in 1980, she told the producer she would perform any material they wanted her to do. She also appeared in the Morcom, Morcom he even gave me the pronunciation. I screwed it up. The Morkum <laughs> and that. Wise comedy sketch as Cleopatra, which you need to look up on YouTube as it is hilarious. Oh, we need to watch that. So we'll look that up. Um, she retired from acting in 1991 and spent 23 years as a labor MP, member of parliament, and was a junior minister in the in Tony Blair's government. Crazy. She returned to acting in 2015 and carried on until her death in June of this year at the age of 87. Her final film with Sir, Sir Michael Kite. Michael Kite. Is just Michael Kite. It's released <laughs> and is a must-see film. It is called The Great Escaper, and it's the true story of a World War II veteran who escapes from a care home in the UK to attend the 70th anniversary of the D-Day landing in Normandy, France. Glenda Jackson is one of Britain's best actors and was a national treasure. Paul. Man, you could tell Thank that he you, had Paul. strong feelings for her. Um, and I don't mean to belittle any of that. I was about to say, like, what do our audience know her from? As an American, I think this might be like my one exposure to her. Yeah, like up. once I looked her up, like now or closer to recently, I recognize her face a little bit, like as an older woman. So I think and I, I prob- have context to some of the films that she's been right. in, but I haven't seen any of them. And I've, I think I've seen her in, in the makeup of Elizabeth the First, like as like a, a character, but I've never seen the movie where she played her. Um, but yeah, her face was definitely familiar as an older woman. Seeing her in the show, I didn't really recognize her, but like looking her up, I'm like, oh yeah, I've seen her in lots of parts. You know, she's been around in different different parts. After well, it makes me wonder, part. like, what American actors that we just take as mainstays just mean nothing anywhere else. See, that happens less frequently, I think. 
because we get True. we get around the we get around the globe a little more than other countries. But and plus, so many British actors nowadays they all take all the American parts, take her jabs. So. Them are the Australians. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so many Australian actors taking good American parts. It's so far away. How do they get over here? Boat? I don't know how it works. I don't know. I think our actors like do more introspection, and their actors are just more hunky. Oh <laughs> yeah, very hunky. Living out there in the so wilds, hunky. in the in the bush. When you grow up fighting spiders, <laughs> snakes, terrible snakes, <laughs> shrimp on the barbie. <laughs> There oh god that, that was your key in phrase you nailed it <laughs> that gets me in the accent perfectly every time it's also culturally non-offensive so perfect well i had i had a <laughs> I tell a story on puppet track for no reason okay uh back to the show yes <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the, on the Muppet Show this week, what's Glenda Jackson up to? Backstage, Glenda's a pirate and talks like a pirate and has a talking parrot. And her ruthless cl- crew slowly takes over the show, eventually invading the stage and performances until at the end, they almost kill Kermit with a cannon. On stage, however, Kermit introduces Glenda Jackson. But first, Gonzo hits the stage with a bevy of chickens. Uh, they sing the car wash blues and it's a real fun up-tempo number. I really did enjoy it. Uh, a group of pirates then sing tie the man down uh, rendition of blow the man down uh, and they tie complex knots and eventually get themselves all tangled up and it's, and they have to be taken off stage. Uh, a restrained Kermit introduces Fozzie bear. The show begins to rock back and forth like a boat and apparently the audience as well as they've been taken to see. Fozzie tries to tell bad jokes, Glenda invades, and then it turns into a musical number, a pirate musical number. Uh, and it's just like it's just nuts. It's a big number, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. They bouncing off each other, fall into the ocean. It's all good. Uh, following this, we get Eric the Parrot singing Carolina in the morning as the Swedish chef eventually takes the stage and attempts to cook and otherwise murder him. <laughs> but then gets murdered himself. Yeah. But then we go, I feel like we've, we've been missing some of the standards, but then we get at the dance, the most classic of classic oh, regular yeah. sketches. We get dancing pirates and rapid fire Muppet jokes. Uh, and then after that, we get Muppet sports where Luca Zagger is overseeing like a hanging competition with a guy hanging by his arms. But eventually there's a terrible accident and they both plummet to their deaths. <laughs> All of this on stage. Um, then, so this is weird. We only see this from off stage, but on stage, supposedly a strange looking Muppet who looks really nervous goes in and does his balancing bombs act. Yeah. Then the stage rocks. He goes off stage and then gets rocked back on. He tosses the bomb off stage only to have it thrown back at him. And then presumably he is blown to bits in front of the audience. Dead. Gore. Presumably, that is what has happened in the reality of the show. <laughs> Presumably. Uh, Glenda then takes the stage, literally, one more time for the big finality of Battle at Sea. Uh, Glenda and the pirates sing a bevy of sea shanties. Uh, they launch Flying Zucchini Brothers at the Enemy, which is captained by Gonzo and his chickens. There's more musical fray. Kermit joins in, disarming Glenda and uh, leading to a final crazy number. Captain Glenda has been apprehended. 
The show's back under control. Kermit releases her only for her to drop a net and retake the ship and show. <laughs> and uh, that is what we call The Muppet Show. Oh, yeah. German, what did you think of this week's episode with Glenda Jackson? I thought even a few minutes in, I thought she was great with the Muppets. Like you can tell she's a great actress because she was fully committed into her character of being a pirate and also a great Gonzo episode. He doesn't get many musical numbers. That was really cool to see no, him do and that. He gets two big parts in this episode. Yeah. And then the pirate at the end. I like the pirate theme. It was kind of like um, last week with um, Brooke Shields being a whole Alice in Wonderland theme. And they really incorporated. Yeah, that was you, great. Yeah, they, as you said, they incorporated a lot of the regular bits into the theme, the theme, which is a great thing to do. So we don't yes, miss those. Yes, yes, I absolutely agree. If anything, this is like a better version of what they tried to do last week. Exactly. Um, and we haven't seen it at the dance in a long time, like you said, not like forever. Oh my god! The fact that it was on a boat going back and forth was hilarious with pirates in there as well. Um, yeah, but. Yeah, I think I, she was a decent enough singer that her musical numbers were did well because they're sea shanties. You don't need to be a fantastic singer to sing yeah, sea shanties. Yeah, that's the thing. She was not a super strong singer, but they didn't put her in that position. Yeah, she was like... And they did well to not put her in that position. It's like Rex Harrison in, uh, you know, what is it? My Fair Lady and uh, yeah. The Music Man. It's like he's talk singing kind of thing. You know, he, he's acting through it, you know, so it works out. Um, But yeah, I, I don't know... Once I'll have to remember once we see all the episodes at the end of the season to see like what was good and what was bad. But this is toward my top for the season so far because it was just an all around fun romp, I think. Absolutely. Uh, if anything, you know, maybe the progression of pirates could have been a little gentler where they invaded more and more of the show. Right. It seemed like it was already it just turned on right away. But otherwise, I've got no complaints. This is a great episode and probably going to end up. Is thus far probably top three for the season for me. Pretty easy. Yeah, it was a lot going on. Tons of production. Great host. Old yeah. bits. All our standard stuff there for a good episode. It was there. So good interaction with the Muppets, which is like the gold standard. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter how good the episode is. If you're not good with the Muppets, you don't get the stamp. Yeah, just watch her while they're talking and she's looking at them. She's like, they're oh, she's interacting with. She's doing bits with them. Yeah, they're her scene partner. Like she's totally into it and staring at them and and, and taking it all in. Yeah, it was just fantastic. So Paul Wright, you are absolutely correct. Glenda Jackson did the Muppet Show proud. A national treasure, just not our nation. A national treasure, <laughs> not our nation. But now we get it. Yes. So what are our song info for this episode? Oh my Steve? gosh! So working at the Car Watch Blues. This is by Jim Croce. And this was his last top 40 hit. Oh, uh, next up, we have blow the man down. It's an old sea shanty, uh, which was first confirmed being referenced uh, in a 19 an 1867 issue of the Syracuse daily courier newspaper. So it's been around for a real long time. After that, we get a capital ship, which uh, was the big, crazy first musical number with Glenda Jackson. The origins of the song were really hard to find because it's been around so long. Uh, it's a traditional song and the lyrics that are normally attached to it actually belong to a poem by a guy named Charles Edward Carroll. And he was an American children's author. And the most interesting thing I could find about him was he was actually a successful Wall Street trader for 30 years. Wow. Before he like was like, I'm going to get into children's book writing. <laughs> um, it was very successful in both categories, apparently. And wrote like a sea uh, shanty song. I guess. Uh, Carolina in the Morning. Uh, Eric the Parrot sings as the Swedish chef attempts to kill him. Uh, did I just not? I don't even have a fact for that one. <laughs> with it I'm so sleepy. Uh, okay. 
<laughs> After that, we get the sea shanty. <laughs> we start that again. Leave it in. Leave it in. I have nothing. <laughs> For the world to hear. <laughs> I just wrote something stupid down that doesn't make any sense. You're reiterating what happened in the show. <laughs> in case you didn't hear last time, he's a parrot. Here's what's really happening. The chef wants to kill him. That's Here's what's really happening. <laughs> I, I was looking through to make sure I had everything complete, and I had a fact for every single one, but I didn't actually read reread what I had written. You can <laughs> so, read, though, right? Just making sure. A little bit. Okay. No, I've got like a ratatouille situation. I have a little hamster on my head pulling my hair. Exactly. <laughs> Who can read pages. as well? Your hamster is very smart. <laughs> he also makes an okay soup. <laughs> He's delicious. <laughs> um. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, right at the end, we get the Sea Shanty medley. First off, we get Rule Britannia. It's a patriotic song, and it's been around since the 1750s and was so popular that Handel, as in Handel's Messiah, uh, actually quoted it in one of his works. That's pretty crazy. Uh, sailing, Sailing by James Frederick Swift. He was an organist and composer, uh, most widely known because uh, it was used for 19, uh, Disney's 1961 animated short film Aquamania. Okay. You sailing, sailing. And that's why, like, most of the public knows it. Uh, Anchors Away. It's the fight song of the U.S. Navy. Uh-huh. El Rancho Grande. This was actually originally a Mexican song, which hit it big in the U.S. when Bing Crosby recorded a version of it in 1939. And that's closer to the version we actually heard here. Uh-huh. Uh, Dead Man's Chest, uh, which they referenced right at the very end, uh, started as actually a fictitious song from Treasure Island in 1883 and it was then adapted into a full poem and then finally from the poem into the song that we now know ah. yo, yo ho, ho and a, ho, bottle, ho, of and a bottle of rum yeah that came from like a little thing a little mention in treasure island interesting so german what did you think was the best muppeteering moment this week i have to give it to the final pirate battle slash musical number because there was just that was huge. so much going on. Human-sized puppets, regular Muppets everywhere, dancing, singing, and sword fighting. And lots and lots of them, too. Yeah, Muppets falling into the water with splashes and people with chickens flying around. It was just chaotic, nuts, and it was fun. <laughs> that was mine. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give it, maybe for, I think for the second time ever, I'm going to give it to the guest host, uh, the, the guest this week, not host. Uh, and giving it to Glenda Jackson for her and Eric the Parrot at the opening. Oh, yeah. Normally, the openings are really, especially this season with Pops, are like very forgettable for me. True. But this is one where I'm like, oh, she's doing something different. And she's operating that puppet. She is? And she's selling it. Yeah, yeah. That She has a fake arm in that bit. Oh, I thought there was a puppeteer behind her doing it or something. I think she has a fake arm. I think that was her. No, you're, you're probably right. At least for part of it. Um, and she did great. It, the bits carried well. The jokes were quick. Like, it was good writing in there, too. And all of that made for, like, a, yeah, good job, Linda Jackson. Yeah, and I will mention, so this episode, she learns to work a, a puppet. She learns a whole dance number. Like, she had all this choreography, mm-hmm. songs to learn, lines to learn. So much she did compared to other hosts that do jack squat. Like, come out and do their musical number while some Muppets dance around them. Or like their like, tired you know, like, impressions that they that they've done for twenty years, yeah. you know, like what? And she worked her ass off, so like that's how you. Would, I appreciate that. <laughs> so, Jordan, what happened on this week's episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation? So, it's technically episode three, but with our episode two, the Naked Now, 
this is basically a remake of sorts of the episode The Naked Time uh, with the original series, which we reviewed previously. Mm-hmm. So the Enterprise is en route to the USS Tchaikovsky, which was supposed to be monitoring the collapse of a supergiant star, but they started sending out these weird messages. And in their final message, it sounded like they were partying, but then a giant and sudden hull breach happens. So when the Enterprise reaches them, they send an away team aboard the Tchaikovsky and find the whole crew dead. And some were frozen to death because someone had screwed with the environmental controls, while the rest had been sucked out into the vacuum of space from the hull breach. And one lady even froze to death in the shower with all her clothes on, and that becomes important later. Uh, LaForge had touched the lady in the shower, so when he gets back, he gets examined by Dr. Crusher because he's really sweaty and he's acting really weird. (laughs) And even though she told him to stay put, he starts to wander around the ship and goes to hang out with Wesley Crusher. And the nerd wants to show off his new mini tractor beam that he made to Jordy, but Jordy touches his face and he passes his weird malady on to Wesley and then leaves because he says it's getting too hot in here to Wesley to his about his quarters. Meanwhile, Riker has a vague memory about something he read in the past about a crew member found in a shower with all their clothes on. How convenient. So he has Data do a super speed computer search of previous mentions of that in the records. Data finally finds mention of it in logs from Kirk's Enterprise from the Naked Time episode, even with the possible cure mentioned. Meanwhile, Lieutenant Yar, our security officer, finally finds wandering Geordi staring off into space. <laughs> and he's all sad that he can't see like normal people do. He's like on the verge of tears. And he goes and touches her face, too, <laughs> spreading the weirdness to her now as well. And now that Yar is all hopped up and drunked up, she gets super horny. And she has Data come to her quarters where she is scantily clad and seduces him, where her and his fully functional self get it on. So then <clears throat> Dr. Crusher is working on the antidote, but it's been made difficult because Jordy went and touched her as well. That guy's a freaking disease factor. <laughs> so uh-huh. her first go at the antidote doesn't go well, though, so she keeps working. And now that Wesley is infected, he's getting up to all sorts of shenanigans, including using his space talk boy to impersonate Captain Picard's voice and wreak havoc on the ship. He sends officers out of engineering so he can take over the ship, blocking himself in with a force field that he made himself, and he names himself Acting Captain. And he lets one of the other infected-slash-drunk engineers to come play with him behind the force field, and the mm-hmm. guy takes all the isolinear chips out of the mainframe that controls the ship, and he starts trying to make a little tower out of them. Meanwhile, the supergiant star nearby is about to explode, but now the Enterprise can't get out of the way because all the ice linear chips are out of the mainframe. So a newly infected Riker, who's not quite crazy yet, and the chief engineer, will they start working alongside each other to disable Wesley's force fields. They can get in there and fix it. But the star explodes, though, and the debris from it is coming right for the Enterprise. And they're able to get Wesley's force field down and get a now drunk data as well to quickly pull all the ice linear chips back into place so they can take back control of the ship. And Beverly is trying to complete the new antidote, but she's drunk now too and super flirty with Picard, which is adorable and awkward and hilarious. She finally gets the antidote finished, starts inoculating the crew, and drunk Wesley uses a reverse tractor beam from the ship to delay the debris from hitting the ship. And a now sober Data, after he's inoculated, quickly places the chips back in place, and they get the hell out of there. And Picard makes a point to partially credit Wesley with helping them escape, even though Wesley is who caused the majority of the problems in the first place. (laughs) 
And that is uh, what we call the Naked Now. So, uh, Naked Time? Naked Now? I get them confused. The Naked Now. <laughs> so, Steve, what did you think of this episode? All right. So, there's some things I genuinely liked. Um, I was At first, I, I didn't remember the episode, and then I confirmed it, but it feels like a classic episode in that it's just a reference to an old episode. Um, just like them removing disease takes over and, you know, uh, and makes the crew behave crazily. So we get to see people do things we never get to see them do like, you know, great classic premise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that. Like now in Canon, Yar and data had a thing. They did That's a thing. Interesting. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, disliked. Uh, I didn't, it, I didn't understand why data. That made no sense to me. Yeah, if they anything, were they're trying feel, to insinuate like, that he's partially like biological material, but later on they say he's completely not. So it's it, in the series. So this kind of makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's weird. Well, and what I and what I wish would have happened, and I think would have th- this is how I think this episode should have gone. It should have been that for some reason Data and Wesley are like the only two not affected because Wesley's young or some nonsense. Yeah. And so then it's them dealing with the crazy adults and trying to get things back in order as a team. And then Wesley gets real credit at the end. Right. Because he did actually save the day. And then it'd also be kind of a mirror to a lot of the original series episodes where always the Vulcan wasn't affected by whatever was affecting all the humans. Right. And it could have been similar. Made sense for Data to not be affected by this. Yeah, that was odd. I don't know. I don't know why they did that. Um, so yeah, I just felt like it was that it just could have been better. Like that would have been better. I agree. Yeah. Um, but overall, good episode. You know, I know we're only two two episodes in technically. Right. But pretty good. And I told Jeremy before we started recording that already I'm finding next generation far more tolerable than the original series. And it only gets better. It's just the pace of the television. Except for the next episode, it all gets better. (laughs) The next episode is considered one of the worst of the entire series. So when we get to that, we'll talk about it. But I am watching this. I'm watching this series the first time with the wife. Uh, She's never seen. I think we had watched gotten up to this episode before we had started Muppet Trek. Like we were going to start her and I were going to start watching Star Trek together anyway. Um, So I think after this episode, she's never seen anything before. Um, wow. but she did seem to enjoy it. And I was laughing at a lot of parts as well. She even gave a big, Ooh, at the captain Kirk and original enterprise reference. Um, but I always get the same apology for this episode that I feel like they do this too soon in the series where we're seeing everybody acting weird, but we haven't really established how they act normally yet. Like we don't know their relationships very well yet. And so this was like, if this was further down the line, it'd have a lot more meaning because you're two ep- one like one episodes happen and already we're seeing them that different than the normal selves so it's like it's just weird i don't like that that's so early um but it was a lot funnier than i remembered it being it was very a lot of funny moments in this episode so yeah overall since i know what's coming i'm giving it a pretty middling review because it's not terrible but it was just it's it, we've seen this episode before in the original series so yeah you know but we got some trivia for this episode. Um, Booyah, Kasha. In one scene, Data tries to lean on the non-existent furniture after his conversation with Picard about being fully functional, and he ends up falling on the floor, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, but this was not the original script, and it was all improvised by Brett and Spiner on the set, and they kept it in the final cut, which I thought was kind of neat. Nice. Uh, Gene Roddenberry had hoped to recycle scripts from the original series with a bigger effects budget. 
uh, fan reaction to remakes and a failure to achieve an early ratings peak forced him to scrap plans to remake more episodes, at least as op- at least as openly as The Naked Now, which is a remake of The Naked Time. So he thankfully stopped doing it after this episode because it was just like, this isn't working. Um, this is the only appearance of Lieutenant Commander Sarah McDougal as chi- the chief engineer that lay with the big hair. Yeah. Uh, there are our cycle of other engineers will see that until we get to the one true chief engineer and he gets his position, which do you know who that will be? Before. Wait, what? Is it Jordy? Yes. Sorry. He went to a turn to a robot for a second. <laughs> um, according to Will Wheaton, Jonathan Frakes, our Riker, sharply criticized this episode, going so far as to call it the worst episode he ever did, saying he felt totally ashamed by it. However, while recalling the first season at a time near the end of the series, once the whole series had been filmed, Frakes noted on how much greater the chances the writers took on the show than they did at the end of the series. Uh, he then described this episode as great in as far as it being the episode which we've never done anything quite like where we everyone got drunk and horny. That was risky. <laughs> so, yeah, it was risky making everyone <laughs> drunk and horny. <laughs> um, That's fair. During the quick scan of the records that Data is doing on the computer, we qu- you'll quickly see a bird, a parrot, with a barely distinguishable human head. And that human head is Gene Roddenberry's. Uh, so he has Gene Roddenberry's head on a parrot's body uh, on a perch wearing a Starfleet uniform, complete with the insignia. And this is a reference to Gene's fan uh, fan base calling him the great bird of the so galaxy. <laughs> Got it. You can look it up online. It's a funny picture. Um that's weird. It has been rumored that Yar's seduction of Data was to establish her as being heterosexual to quell any speculation that the character was a lesbian, since she's kind of a more butch character, I guess you would say. Um, which was yeah, that's fair. Uh, George Takei, our old Sulu, said in his autobiography To the Stars that he thought this episode was a total copy of one of the best original series episodes, The Naked Time, which I don't agree with. That this was unoriginal. He just liked that one because he got to take a shirt off and play with a sword. <laughs> his of course, most... that's his favorite one. Yeah, and he got a lot of screen time, exactly. A lot of screen time for Sulu. He said it was unoriginal, and it was like seeing young children putting on their parents' clothes and trying to act like grown-ups. <laughs> Jeez, how do you really Aww. feel, George? Uh, when Beverly that's becomes mean. too intimate with Picard, Picard clears his throat in a very uncomfortable fashion. I thought that was very weird. He's like, <laughs> like that. Uh, this is an unmistakable nod, apparently, to C.S. Forrester's fictional character, Captain Horatio Hornblower, whose adventures inspired Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry and who was the model for the character of Captain Kirk. Uh, this identical reaction and sound is made by Gregory Peck in Captain Horatio Hornblower from 1951. And that hmm. did stand out to me. I'm like, why did he make that weird noise? That was very strange. And so that's why. Uh, Data, Data would later speak of his and Tasha Yar's intimate encounter in The Measure of a Man, a later episode, uh, making an wow. exception to his vow never to mention it to others. It was also shown that Picard and Riker knew or eventually became aware of the encounter and that Data considered both Yar and the experience to be special to him. And Data's oh. fully functional sexual anatomy and, and knowledge of multiple techniques would also be referenced in Star Trek First Contact. So keep it out for yep. those. The Borg Queen. That's right. So, Steve, what were our Trek connection, Muppet connections this time around? Uh, I only have one. And, guys, I really dug. I really dug. But the fact that Glenda Jackson basically retired from acting for a huge span of time Uh, really narrowed the gates a bit. Makes sense. Uh, So, Glenda Jackson played the title role of Hedda in the 1975 film adaptation of the stage show Hedda Gabler. 
also in this movie and in his screen debut was Patrick Stewart. Really? Yeah. That's a big connection, Glenda though. Jackson. I know. I have one good one, but I couldn't find any tenuous ones even. So this is my one good actual connection. Yeah, you made up with quality for quantity. That's pretty good. That's right. Next time, four bad ones. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, these are basically the same episode. I, I mean, it's so true. I mean, these both so many, so many. Uh, both have the cast acting out of their normal and spreading to more and more cast members, like how Statler joins in and dives into the water, becoming a pirate, and just like everyone else, becoming drunk and crazy on Star Trek. I, something similar is my one similarity. Both feature something overtaking the crew or show, the mystery malady on the Enterprise, and pirates on the Muppet Show. And something similar, uh, both episodes have someone unqualified take over the ship, as it were. Uh, we have Glenda <laughs> Black Jackson in The Muppet Show and Wesley Crusher in Star Trek. And this one was just a silly, barely connection. But both have characters building up to something that ultimately fails. Uh, the whatnot is trying to break the record for holding on to the mass for the longest time. Yeah. And the drunk engineer on Star Trek who keeps trying to stack the isolinear chips, but they keep falling down. It's a fool's errand. It's a fool's errand. Why is he even trying? <laughs> oh, God. What's that noise? Transporter <gasps> malfunction. Transporter malfunction. All right. It's a part of the show where you take one character from one episode and transport them over to the other side and see what happens. So, Steve, what you got for us? Trying to Muppets this week, I want to bring over silly love-struck Picard to play the pirate captain, replace Glenda Jackson, and make silly smoochy faces at Miss Piggy and lead sea shanty songs. <laughs> I actually so have... It has to be lovey, kissy Picard. <laughs> lovey, kissy Picard. be regular Picard. Picard. See, I didn't even think of that because I had the same one. I had Picard replace Glenda Jackson uh, because in Star Trek Generations, the movie, we see him as a pirate or as a ship yeah, captain. Yeah, we do. We see many of the crew. Yeah. yeah. But he's more on the British side of things. So it'd be, I'll be very civilized and Kermit would be a lot happier with it because he'd be more of like a, a British captain of a ship. But you True. Know, it's good. Yeah. I'm up to Trek this week. I'm going to bring over just the entire premise uh, to replace the disease. <laughs> so just more and more of the crew become pirates. That's the disease is pirate one after disease. another. Yeah. Like, <laughs> are you okay? Captain, he looks up. He's got an eye patch on. I am fine, lad. <laughs> Yar. Let us go to the hollow deck. Yeah. I uh, <laughs> oh, love it. <laughs> and Dana has to stop them. Dana and Wesley have to stop them. <laughs> Did you say Yar, Captain? <laughs> uh, I was up to Star Trek having Glenda Jackson take the place of Wesley Crusher. Because she'd be even better at causing chaos on the Enterprise as a drunk pirate captain. <laughs> she would. <laughs> oh, good times. And uh, that brings us to the end of episode 105 of the Muppet Trek podcast. Join us next time for the Muppet Show with special guest, Senior Wences. And the next generation episode, Code of Honor. <laughs> so from the lovers, the dreamers, and us. Live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. 